0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Ron, and our passage today is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who c- dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we come to you and um, anticipating the word, and uh, Lord, we ask that uh, Tim would be free to speak as the Holy Spirit leads, And Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open and that we would understand what your great call is to uh, bring the gospel to all nations. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. Uh, We're excited to have you guys here today. If you'll notice, if you've been around, you've definitely noticed. We have a lot of lights in here that are just out. And so if you uh, don't realize, we meet in a school, we're about a year and a half old, there's a new church, and part of that is we get to experience like dark Sunday, every Sunday. And so they have an order in to fix those, hopefully this week, in the meantime, we're just gonna leave those doors in the back open, so don't turn around and look back there, but just know uh, that's on purpose, we're trying to give you light, so you can read your Bible, okay? And so this isn't some kind of ambiance we're trying to create, like the lights are out, okay? Uh, so just an update on that. And then uh, today we have a family service. So we also have some kids in here. And there's a couple reasons why we, we do this. Is uh, One reason is we want you to worship as a family. And so as we just got through singing songs of like, I may be weak, but your spirit's strong. Your kids would sing that alongside you and ask you later, like, what does that mean? Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? How does that work? And that you would be stumped. How do I explain the Holy Spirit to a child? And you would want to go to God's word and you would open up together over lunch or over dinner and you would go through it and dissect it and you would read a commentary and you would come and ask me or you would ask somebody else and that you could teach your kids. We believe that God ultimately has positioned you to make little disciples of your kids. And so we're gonna come alongside you in that and supplement that and equip you in that. But ultimately, we believe God is equipping you to do that as a parent. So this gives us sort of a launching pad to do that as a church. And that's the first reason why we do a family service. Second reason is if you don't know this or don't have kids, every Sunday across the courtyard in the media center, we have uh, about 25 to 30 plus kids sometimes looking at scripture, learning about Jesus, singing songs about Jesus, doing exactly what we're doing in here Over there at their level and learning about Jesus as well. And to do that, we have volunteers and teachers and people who set up and tear down the whole place over there uh, in kids ministry to accomplish that. And you need to know if that's you, if you serve in kids ministry in any capacity from set up to teaching to tear down, you need to know that's a really big deal. That as, as a pastor, I don't think what we do in the big room matters and then put the kids over there in the nursery and, and they'll figure things out. And that's not it at all. We want to raise up the next generation and a legacy of little disciples of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so we put uh, a lot of effort and time and money and people over there because we intentionally want to do that. And so if you're serving in there, you need to know, thank you. That's a huge deal. Thank you. As I look at faces across the room, thank you. This is one of the ways we want to thank you, is every once in a while we want to say, hey, let's everybody just come in here. The kids will be in here. I know it'll be a little bit chaotic, but we just want to thank you by Uh, having one Sunday off from from kids' men so we can regroup and go back at it next week. We do have nursery, and so for our little babies, if you didn't see that, we do have nursery over there. We have nannies that will take care of them, but our older kids are with us. So kids, welcome. It's going to be fun, okay? We're going to try to keep the sermon a little bit shorter, and that is the plan. Somebody laughed at that already? But I am going to do it. It's going to happen. So um, today we are closing out our devoted series. And so if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about what it means to be devoted to God in prayer, in learning, in serving, in worship, and today, mission. And really to set up this whole series, if you haven't been tracking with us, is we've seen in in the Bible and the book of Acts specifically that any movement of God starts with a devotion to God. Do you see that? Any movement of God starts with a devotion to God. And that's the case throughout all of church history. As you read about things in church history and movements of God where God does amazing things in and through the lives of people, that it always can be traced back to someone, to a group of people, to a church, to a city, sometimes to a nation, who are devoted to God. And that through that, God moves in powerful ways to accomplish his purposes and so we as a church, a new church, about a year and a half in, we have big dreams and goals of what we want to see God do. And the only way that will happen is if we are devoted to God. And so we've talked about what that looks like. Today we finish that out with mission. When we talk about God's mission. If you're new to church or not a Christian, we're talking about God's purposes in the world. And I think all of us, no matter if you're Christian, no matter your church background, we, we tend to think about purpose with profession. And that's ingrained in us from an early age. And so even when you're a kid and you're in school, and maybe some of you guys your kids, you're thinking about what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do with my life? Like what's my purpose? And you think in terms of teacher, doctor, whatever. You think in terms of mommy. You think in terms of daddy. I'm going to be this. I'm going to do this with my life. This is going to be my purpose. And so a few weeks ago, I got to see this firsthand when I went to my daughter's first grade class for a thing they were doing called cool jobs. And what they were doing is asking parents to come in and talk about their cool job and explain it to them, and uh, the kids could ask questions and all those things. And so they asked me to come in and talk about my cool job as a pastor. And so I went into it kind of wondering, a little bit nervous, like, how much can I say? I mean, how much can I talk about God and church? It's a public school. Like, what's that going to look like? But instead of asking questions, I just did it and figured I would just ask for forgiveness later. And so I had about 30 kids in a public school and a teacher and I just explained God. In fact, I brought my daughter up, we did a little illustration. I basically preached a little sermon about the character and nature of God to the kids. And I said, this is what I do every Sunday and we care for people and we serve our city and and we shepherd and lead people to do that better. And I talked about all that, and the kids were amazing. They asked all of these questions. They were super engaged, and they asked questions about God. And the whole time, I'm looking over at the teacher like, is this okay? And she was okay with it. And they were asking questions about God and church and all these things. But then they asked just the questions they were asking every parent about every profession. They asked things like, do you like your job? They asked things like, do you do math in your job? And so the teacher kind of senses this, and she, she has a teach, teachable moment here, and she says to the kids, you know, kids, when you get older, when you become an adult, you get to choose what you want to do with your life. And so right now, we're teaching you everything, math, science, history, all those things, but eventually, you get to choose one, and you get to do that for your profession. And so she said, you know, like Susie's dad, she's, he's really good with medicine, and so he works in a hospital. He's a doctor. And then she went on to say, like, Johnny's dad, like, he's really good with designing things and and piecing things all together and having a vision for that. And so he's an an architect. He helps build buildings. And then Neela's daddy, that's me, she she says, uh, Neela's daddy, he's really good at talking. And so he's a pastor. And I didn't really know how to take that, but I I thought it was a compliment, not sure, but... But you realize, and you see it in that moment, and she's totally right, like all those things are true, and you do get to pick what you want to do, and you you do get to be who you want to be, and you do get to live out this purpose. But we often take that to the extreme, don't we? Even as kids. We take that to the extreme of like, what am I going to be when I grow up? My entire purpose, my entire mission, and my impact on this earth is wrapped up in our profession. And so there's a few ways that plays out. For some of you, you, you've learned that your whole life and you're in the midst of that and you have no idea what your purpose is, what your profession is going to be. Maybe you're working a job, but it's to lead to something else and you're like, if I'm honest sitting before you today, Tim, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my profession is. And that's frustrating for you. Sometimes that can lead to depression for you because you're like, why am I here? Why am I on this earth? What am I supposed to do with my life? And it feels meaningless at times. Some of you have an idea of what that's going to be and it's somewhere in the future and it's this next big thing that if you can just grab a hold of, you'll find that purpose. And so maybe you're going to nursing school or you're you're paying uh, student loan debts and you're working on that promotion in your job, and you're working everything around your life Is if I can just get here, then I'll find purpose, then I'll find mission. And then there's another category. Some of you, you would say, if you're honest, I found that. Like what I'm doing with my life, what you've been doing with your life for 20 plus years is what you are designed to do. You feel like God's wired me for this. It's making a difference in some aspect of life. And you're experiencing that But some of you who are in those shoes wonder at times, is this it? Like, is this it? Like, I'm supposed to do this for a while, and maybe when I'm 65, retire, start taking Social Security, go live on a lake, get a boat, and then die? Like, is this it? Is this my mission? Is this my purpose? No matter where you are, On that spectrum, I want you to see today, our purpose for today is to see that God has a greater purpose than that. That we don't need to confuse our purpose with our profession. Do you see that? That it's bigger than that. It's bigger than what we can see in our own lives. God is doing something bigger. He's up to something. And it's his mission and it's his purposes in the world that he invites you into. And so we're going to walk through that. Ron read Genesis 12 earlier. We're going to start back in the beginning, even before that, Genesis 1. You can flip there, or you can just look on the screen with me. Genesis 1, 27 through 28, the first part, it says this. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So you see two key things in that text, you see that God makes man, male and female, all of humanity in his image. We all have that intrinsically within us, that we're made in the image of God. That's his purpose for you, is that you would reflect him, his character and his nature, that, nature, that you would be made in his image and walk in that image. And that that would fill the earth. Right? Look at the text, he says, be fruitful and multiply. So God's purpose, God's mission from creation is that we would fill the earth with his image-bearing, God-glorifying people that would fill the earth. God's image-bearing, God-glorifying people would fill the earth, that that's God's mission from creation. And you see that over and over again through scripture in different forms and in different ways, that that's God's mission ultimately for you and me. That's what he's up to. We see it in creation, But it doesn't take long for us to see that mission gets distorted. Even if you haven't read the Bible, you know this to be true. Just flip on the news. Go to CNN.com and read the headlines. You know that that mission, that we would reflect God's image and that would fill the earth and we'd glorify him, that doesn't last long. In fact, it gets distorted in Genesis chapter 3, just two chapters later. The context of Genesis 3 is you have Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, and they're experiencing Perfectly, this mission. They're communing with God, they're reflecting His image, and they're communing with one another perfectly. They have everything they need, they have everything they want, everything is perfect in God's mission. It's happening. But He tells them specifically there's a tree that's not His mission. He doesn't want them to go near that tree or eat of that tree, and if they do, they will die. And then the serpent comes along in verse 4, you can see it on the screen. It says, The serpent says to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, what the serpent goes on to do is he creates doubt of God's mission, he creates doubt in God's purposes and says, Maybe this isn't what you're supposed to do. Maybe there's something else better that you just don't know about it yet. And if you were to eat of this tree, you would figure it out. And he creates doubt about God's mission, and therefore God's mission gets distorted because they go on to eat of that tree. If you know the story, if you want to go back and read it, what you will see is they experience pain and shame for the first time in human existence. They bring pain and shame in the world as they distort God's perfect mission. And what you see is brokenness. Brokenness that we experience today. You see brokenness in their lives vertically between their relationship with God. You see God call out to them, where are you? Where are you? God knew where they were. God's making a point. God, Adam and Eve, where are you? Because they're hiding from God. They're experiencing shame because they've distorted his mission. And God cries out to them, where are you? And you see a separation for the first time between God and men. But you also see horizontally there's brokenness. Between one another, they begin to blame one another. If you go on to read the book of Genesis, there's descendants of Adam and Eve that do all sorts of evil things to one another. And it all began with a distorted view of God's mission. And there's brokenness in the world. And we we experience that today. That instead of being God-centered in our mission, we are me-centered. Me-centered. That we exchange God's mission to make gods of ourselves. That we think and we doubt maybe God doesn't know what's best. We all do this. Maybe his mission isn't going to bring fulfillment. And so I'm going to go over here. And you find your tree, whatever that is, success, sin. You find that idol. You find your tree and you eat of it because you think, I don't know that God's mission is gonna bring fulfillment. So you you go outside of it and you distort his mission. And we experience the brokenness of that today just like Adam and Eve did. And so vertically you have times in your life even if you know God where you doubt him. You have times in your life where you're going through your profession, you're going through your marriage, you're going through your family and things get hard and you wonder, God, is this your perfect plan for my life? Are we really supposed to follow you and and obey you? Is that the plan? And you may go outside of his plan and you distort his plan for your own mission that you could be like God. And maybe you know better and you experience that in your life even if you know Jesus. We see broader than just us. There's brokenness in the world. There's addiction. There's abuse. There's poverty. There's hunger. That the world is broken because we have distorted God's perfect mission. Do you see that? That's the world that you and I live in. But we see it doesn't take long for God to begin to redeem that mission. That he says, I've laid out this perfect mission, that you have distorted it, but I'm going to redeem it. And it doesn't just start with Jesus. He begins that process in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 that Ron read earlier. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so you see this first concept of a redemptive mission through Abraham. That he will be blessed to be a blessing to others. And that through his lineage, that ultimately the world will be blessed. And God begins to start this redemptive plan. And what you see in the Old Testament is that mission goes through Israel. It goes through the the nation of Israel. We're gonna talk about next week and for the next few weeks, this series called called Broken People, Big God. And we're gonna look at Old Testament characters, sometimes that we elevate and we put on a pedestal we make heroes of. But what we're going to see is really they're just broken people serving a big God who does amazing redemptive things through them. And we're going to talk specifically about Abraham next week. So if you join us for that. But just for today's purposes, you see this redemptive plan, purpose, mission start to take shape through the nation of Israel. You see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all get promised that they're going to be a blessing, to be a blessing. But there's some hiccups along the way, right? It doesn't just happen, if you know the story. They become slaves in Egypt. A guy named Moses rescues them, delivers them out of that. They establish a kingdom, and they have their first king, Saul, David, and Solomon. They think they might be having this redemptive plan being lived out in their lives, but before long, they have a kingdom divided. They have two kingdoms. Some of them begin to worship other gods. Some of them get exiled. But through all of that mess... God uses these people as instruments to bring about his redemptive plan. And ultimately, it culminates in Jesus Christ. That ultimately, God says, I'm going to send my own son. He's going to be born of a baby in the lineage of Abraham and David. And he will redeem my mission. That God does it himself. That God says, I'm going to work through all of these people and through this nation. But ultimately, I'm going to take ownership of this mission. That I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes into the world. You see it in Matthew 1 in the genealogy. If you're not familiar, that's because you skipped that passage. Where it talks about all these names and how it goes from Abraham to all these other names. And you see that Jesus is born of Joseph and Mary. And they're of the lineage of Abraham and David. And you see this fulfillment of Genesis 12. That Jesus is going to be that blessing. And that through him, all these nations will be blessed and we'll get to experience his redemptive purpose and mission in the world. That it comes through Jesus. And so we have a distorted mission that starts in the very beginning, Genesis 3. That we bring sin and brokenness into the world. That we experience that today. And it is broken. You look on the news, you see all that. It's broken in your own life. And listen, we try to fix it. We try to redeem it. And so we come up with methods, we come up with breathing techniques, exercises, diets to try to fix our brokenness, to try to redeem it ourselves. We put things in place like rhythms in our life and disciplines and we read books on boundaries because we think I'm going to redeem my life. We go to the library, we try to get self-help books and, and figure out a way to redeem our lives. Oprah is trying really hard to redeem our lives. She's given away schools to try to redeem our lives, and she can't fix it, and you know what? You and I can't either. And so God sends Jesus through the lineage of Abraham and David to be a blessing to ultimately redeem our lives, and you see it in the Gospels. There's multiple places. For time's sake, we won't go through all of them, but Luke 19, we see a synopsis of this. Luke 19 Verse 10, Jesus says why he came. He says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus comes. What you see just in that verse is that Jesus acknowledges what we're acknowledging today is that the world is broken and lost. That's why he came. Because the world is broken and lost. And you need to know if we just pause for a second, that shouldn't shock us. Shock us. That as you look at politics and you look at the news and you look at the things that are taking place in our society and you post on Facebook about them, and you're completely and utterly shocked that these things could be happening, how could they do this? How could the government, how could the, the people, how could they take our sacred values and distort them? Listen, it's been happening since Genesis 3 that from the beginning of time, man has distorted God's mission, that we are broken and lost in need of a redemptive plan and mission through a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wasn't shocked by our lostness. You and I, we don't need to be shocked by it. We need to be motivated by it, motivated to communicate what I'm communicating to you today God's mission, His purpose in the world. That ultimately, why we're here is to reflect his image, and that we would proclaim that and practice that with every fabric and every fiber of our being. That is the church that we're following after Jesus to seek and to save that which is lost, to redeem it for his glory and our good. Do you see that? That's the mission that he invites you on. So we shouldn't be shocked by it, we should be sent by it into the workplace into our culture, into our cities, to see it redeemed in and through us. That Jesus started that process when he came. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is saying this distorted version of your mission, of God's mission that you have made it into, that's brought about brokenness, that that's not ultimately the way it has to be. There's a better way. That you can follow me, that I want to give you life, I want to give you purpose, and I want to give you mission. And you can have that to the full. You can have it abundantly. And so Jesus comes to, to save and rescue the lost and to give us a better way, to give us a better mission. John seventeen four says this. Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work with which you have given me to do. What you see there, what Jesus is saying is he's glorified the Father in everything he's done. He's accomplished precisely what God the Father called him to do in redeeming this mission. That Jesus did that perfectly. That he did what Adam and Abraham could not do. Unlike Adam, as Jesus is tempted by Satan to go another way, Luke 4, you can read about this. He doesn't give in. He refutes Satan to his face. Unlike Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are full of sin, who are broken people, Jesus is perfect. Hebrews 4, he leads a sinless life, and he glorifies the Father. He redeems this mission perfectly, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's redemptive mission that started in Genesis 12. Can we just stop for a second and pause and see that clearly? I mean, some of you have been coming to the church for a long time, and you're just used to this. Can we just stop and see how God is orchestrating a redemptive purpose and mission in the world through Jesus, that it was the plan from the beginning? Do you have that large view of God? This morning, as you come in here, as we worship, God, do you see that God, a God who is sovereign, a God who is redeeming everything? through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that you get to be a part of that. That it started in Genesis 12, that Jesus continues it in the gospel so that it's the culmination of his redemptive mission. And what we're going to see next is that you and I, we don't get pushed to the sidelines. We don't get told to get over in the corner and don't screw it up. That God invites us to participate in that with them. I hope you see that. We see the mission multiplied. It multiplies all the way to us and that we get to be a part of it. We see it in John 20. Jesus says this. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, talking to his followers. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus to his followers and to you and I says, the Father sent me to redeem his mission. But if it doesn't stop with me. I'm going to send you to do the same thing that we get to be invited into this process, that you and I as sinners saved by God get to be a part of seeing other sinners redeemed, that God invites you into his mission. So whatever profession you have, this is your purpose. Whatever you think your calling may be, this is your ultimate calling, is to be a part of God's mission, to see other people redeemed just like you have been redeemed. And it multiplies. Acts 1.8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see it in a place like Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples, that Jesus lives the perfect life. He glorifies the Father. He dies a death in our place to redeem us out of our sin, out of our brokenness, to give us a purpose and a mission. But then he rises, and the tomb is empty, and before he ascends into heaven, he gives us, he invites us into this mission with him, this redemptive plan with him. And some of you, as I say that, you're thinking through your life, and you're thinking, I don't know enough. Like, I don't know enough to be a part of this. Maybe the followers of Jesus in this day, maybe in the book of Acts, as they hear this call in Acts 1-8, maybe those followers, maybe they had their lives together Maybe they knew more than I did, and they were able to go on in the book of Acts and carry out this mission and be sent as Jesus was sent. Maybe they could do that, but I can't. I don't know enough. My life is a mess. If you just saw it, you would know, and I can't do this. And if I had to imagine, that's what the disciples were actually thinking. If you read the Gospels, you got to know that's what they were thinking. I mean, over and over again in the Gospels, they don't get it. Jesus proclaims all these things, tells them about the kingdom of God and what he's building, and they don't get it. They don't fully grasp it. But what happens? Acts 1.8, there's a key part of that verse we need to see is Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That for the disciples, that for you and I, you were never meant to do this by yourself in your own strength, because you have your life together, because you know everything there is to know. that It wasn't up to them and it's not up to you, that God grants them and us the power of the Holy Spirit, that when you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are indwelled with his spirit so that you can become more like him and reflect his image, but so that you can also be empowered to go out and help other people do the same that that's how the church is started that's how this movement of christianity begins in the book of acts and you and i get sent out on that same mission and it's not up to us it's the holy spirit working in and through us and it's not even just us it's not even just you with the holy spirit like god's redemptive multiplying mission is not a one man band it's a symphony it's not just you and the holy spirit going out to conquer the world for his glory it's not that that God brings the Holy Spirit into your life and he does so in the lives of others and then he brings us together and he unifies us and it's called the church. 1 Corinthians 12, it says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, that this is the church, that we collectively get to be a part of God's redemptive multiplying mission. That through the Holy Spirit's power in you and the way he's wired you and the Holy Spirit's power in me, we come together and we get to live out God's mission and his efforts in the world. And the amazing thing about that mission is we can know collectively here today that it will not fail. Maybe sometimes you think it might. Maybe sometimes you're not sure because you see the things going on in our world, you see the things in the news, and you wonder, like, God, are you really working out this redemptive mission? It will not fail. Even in those moments where you wonder, God's plans and his purposes will not fail. We see it in Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here's the beautiful thing about God's mission that you and I get to be a part of individually and collectively, empowered by the Spirit of God, is that it's a mission, it's a purpose that we know will succeed. You can't lose. You can lose in a lot of other missions and a lot of other purposes in your life. If you make your mission ultimately about your job and your career and your retirement, you can lose in that. If you make your mission ultimately about your kids and their success and whether they can kick a ball and a goal and do that professionally one day, that can fail. No matter how good they are at six years old, that can fail. If you make your mission ultimately about pleasure and pursuing every pleasure uh, involved in our lives, that can fail. You will be disappointed. You will be discontent. But you need to know if you join God in his mission, in his eternal, redemptive, multiplying mission, it will not fail. The gates of hell can't prevail against it. That you are guaranteed to succeed in that mission because it's not up to you. That God started it a long time ago. He empowers you with his spirit and he brings us collectively to be a part of that together. That should encourage you as you are a part of God's mission. We see that play out in the book of Acts, in the early church, and the early movement of Christianity. We see it continue today. It multiplies out even to Phoenix and to Phoenix Bible Church today. And some of you might think, does God's mission really apply to Phoenix? Like, are we really experiencing the same things that these guys experience in the book of Acts? And you need to know we are. And I know sometimes we we see churches in Phoenix and we see bumper stickers. And we think, like, well, everybody knows about Jesus in Phoenix. I mean, I'm sure there's some other places in the world that need Jesus. And they're hurting and they're experiencing brokenness. but, But not Phoenix. I mean, it seems like everybody's living okay. Everybody here today is dressed nice. And so they must be doing okay. But you need to know that even in this room, we need God's mission. That I meet people all the time who walk through these doors who have never been to church in their lives. Who don't know God. And maybe some of you have been coming here for a while or been in church for a long time. And you just assume that everybody sitting around you is a Christian. They know Jesus. They're a part of his redemptive plan. And you need to know that's not the case. And if you're here and you've never been to church, you're not a Christian, you need to know that we planted this church as a part of God's redemptive multiplying mission so that you can know God. That's why we're here. And so maybe it feels weird for me to actually talk about this and pull back the curtain and bring you in the kitchen. But listen, you need to know the secret is out. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him. We want you to know Him, that we want God's mission to invade your life, that you would see a bigger picture for your life than your profession and your individual purpose, that you would see it in God's mission, that you would be redeemed by Jesus, and you would be empowered to live out this mission as well. That's my goal for you today. That's our goal for this church. That's the whole reason why we are here. If you are a Christian, We need to be reminded that this is an opportunity for us in Phoenix. There's a few stats I just want to give you to to show you that Phoenix is the sixth largest city in the nation. There's 4.3 million people in greater Phoenix. By 2020, estimates are that Phoenix will become the fourth largest city in the nation. Tim Keller, a pastor and author in in New York who, who does a lot of study on this kind of stuff, says the people of the world... Are moving into cities faster than the churches. And that's definitely the case in Phoenix. The Barna group, which is a research group who does studies on the church and on culture, said this in 2015. They said Phoenix is the ninth least church city in the country. They also says the ninth least Bible-minded city in the country. And again, some of you may hear that and you're like, really? There's a lot of churches? How can that be? But there's so many people. Like Keller just said, there's so many people moving into Phoenix, it's growing so fast that per capita, we don't have enough churches. That God's mission isn't playing out enough to reach all the people that are in Phoenix that don't know God. And so God has placed us here and other churches here to see that mission play out in Phoenix. And as we build this church, we talk about a lot of practical things of God's mission. So one thing recently as you drove in, maybe you saw it, we have a sign. We have a sign on a fence. Did anybody see that? I, ho- I hope you saw it. It's good if you saw it. You can clap for that, I guess. But uh, It took us like a year to get a sign, a banner on a fence. Um, but we have one, and, and that's part of God's mission. It's an instrument, a tool in God's mission. So that when people drive by one of the most traffic streets in Phoenix during the week, they would see a sign and wonder, oh, there's a church that meets in a school. What's that about? Maybe I should check it out, right? But you need to know, as excited as I was personally, and I want you to be, that we have a sign and a presence in the city, that that's just one instrument. And ultimately, God's redemptive multiplying mission in the world is not going to be done through that sign. It's going to be done through you and through me. That as the Holy Spirit empowers you and equips you and equips me as the church, And we see Phoenix in the ninth least church city in the country, the ninth least Bible-minded city in the country. That as we see that, the only way we're going to make a dent in redeeming that is the Holy Spirit through you and through me. That that's not going to happen just because somebody sees a sign and says, oh, I've been looking for a church for so long. And I'm just going to show up there and trust in Jesus and then get on his mission. That may happen and be praying it does. But most likely, God's going to use you and he's going to use me in this place where people don't go to church, they don't know the Bible, they don't see see life through a lens of the Bible. That's what Bible-minded means. That these people aren't just going to see a sign and come flocking to Jesus. That's not going to happen. That God has placed you in your profession, in your neighborhood, in this city to be a part of his redemptive plan. That that family member who drives you nuts, that always questions your faith, God has placed you with the power of the Holy Spirit to live out his redemptive mission. That that guy who always puts his trash can like right next to yours and it knocks it over, who doesn't mow his side of the grass, that neighbor, that God has placed you there as you're rolling out your trash can to be a part of his redemptive mission. To see the ninth least church city and the ninth least Bible-minded city to see that change. That God has placed you and God has placed Phoenix Bible Church here for that purpose. That this is our purpose. That individually you don't need to quit your job, don't do that. You need to parent your kids, you need to have hobbies, but that in and through all of those things that you already do, that God is inviting you to do those things with an intentionality it corresponds with his mission and his purpose. That that is God's purpose for us as a church, and that is God's purpose for you individually. And it looks a few different ways. There's a family in our church who I talked to that just said they were praying for another family uh, for several months. They would known for a long time. They were just praying for them. They were praying that they would come to church, that they would grow up in Jesus, and eventually they, they came. And they just started praying for them. And God's redemptive, multiplying mission, they just started with prayer. I know for us, in our lives, we get busy. We have three kids. This is a part of me leading God's mission. But in our personal lives, we're challenged. My wife and I are challenged to see this affect us personally. And so there's a family that's uh, friends of ours that they don't want anything to do with church or God. They've had bad experiences with that. They have misconceptions about that. And we have gotten to talk to them about who Jesus really is. And what we hope church really is. And we've been inviting them to church and they did not come. But last week they sent their daughter. It's progress, right? Their daughter came with our daughter. And we got to talk to them about what they did. And so we believe God has placed us, even just personally, forget the fact that I'm a pastor, God's personally called me to this purpose, no matter what my profession is. And listen, we have to get that out of our heads, that I'm supposed to do this and that you guys get to sit there and listen. That's not God's mission. That's not what you see in the Bible. That's not what we should see in our lives, that I do this, that we do this, that we come alongside each other to accomplish God's redemptive, multiplying mission. And we don't do it perfectly, but the Holy Spirit is equipping us and empowering us to do it together. So it happens personally And then it happens locally. We have Hope Women's Center that we partner with and we demonstrate the gospel and demonstrate God's mission to them. And Verde Park, this park right behind us, we do mentoring with kids who are in poverty and in all sorts of bad situations. And we we come alongside them in that way collectively as a church to participate in this multiplying mission. But we also do that globally. We're in talks and in planning to do a trip to Ecuador and help with another church plant there, especially after the earthquake that hit there. So we can be involved and participate in this multiplying mission. We have a college student who is an intern here named Nick who is in Asia. And he's experiencing God's multiplying mission. And he's going to come back and we're going to hear stories about that. So there's ways this happens personally. It happens locally, together, collectively. And then it happens globally. We have a family in our church with two kids who felt the call in their life to see this mission multiply itself out into Honduras. And they're going to move there for two years and be a part of God's multiplying mission there. All of us won't do that. All of you don't need to do that. Some of you need to stay here because Phoenix needs Jesus. But some of you might. And this is one family who's following that call. I want to invite them up now. The Wagners, if you guys can come up wherever you are. They're going to come up. They're going to set up a video to show just one example. This is one example of God's redemptive multiplying mission in our world. Uh, this is one example of that in Honduras through this family, the Wagners. They're going to set up this video briefly, so I'll let them do that. What's up, guys?
2: Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Carlene. It's my husband, Chris, Alex, and John. Um, we are leaving for Honduras in two weeks, so we are super excited, going a little crazy, but it's still really good. We're gonna show a little video about um, one of the organizations we will be working with called Worldwide Heart to Heart. The video is a few years old, so she's t- gonna talk about the school um, after it had just opened, and they've actually done other um, expansions. The school's a little bit bigger, but that's the school we'll be teaching at, and she'll talk about the children's village, and that's the place that we'll be living. So. Take a look at that and then we'll share a little bit about our prayer requests. Hi, I'm Mary and I'm coming to live Thank you. Awesome, so yeah, so our prayer requests um, definitely Peace, um, energy, just to kind of finish up the last couple weeks really well. We're moving this weekend into my parents' house, so that'll be good to kind of close that door. Um, our financial support is doing awesome. You guys have been great. We're at 74% for our monthly, so we awesome. need about another $400 a month um, to be able to be fully funded, which is our goal. We'd love to be able to do that. So I know some of you have talked about supporting us. If you haven't gotten around to that yet, we'll be in the back. You can um, We can walk you through the process or answer any questions that you have. Um, If you guys could do that today or tomorrow, that would be awesome so that um, while we're still stateside, we can make any adjustments that we need to. And I think that's it. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you, guys. Would you guys give it up for the Wagners? Well, if you missed it, a few weeks ago, we prayed for them. We had their community group up here praying for them. The Wagners have been a part of our church since the very beginning, living out God's mission in Phoenix. Now they're just going to go do that in another place. And so we're excited to support them in that. Uh, Carlene just shared some of their updates. Uh, We are going to, as a church, we're going to partner with them. And so we're going to help them financially as a church over the next year. And so they're going to stay with us. You guys can't get rid of us that easily. Uh, They're going to stay with us. We're going to get updates from them every quarter of what God's doing. Maybe a video, pictures, uh, and see what is God doing. How is he multiplying his mission over there And how is he doing that here as well? And so I encourage you to pray for them and be a part of that in that way. Lastly, as we close, uh, I said it earlier, but not all of us are gonna go to Honduras. Uh, How can we all live this out wherever you are, wherever God has placed you? We'll run through it really quickly because we're behind on time. But the first question you need to ask as you leave today is how have you distorted God's mission? How have you made God's mission your mission? How have you been self-centered in his mission? Thinking about all the, all the ways you want your purposes and your life to go. How have you left God's mission? How have you distorted that? Whether it's your job, whether it's sin, whatever the case may be, how have you elevated yourself above God in terms of mission? And then the second question, how can you begin to take steps to participate in God's mission? And so how can you learn who God is? We, we looked at the overarching story of the character of God, of what God has done, of his mission we need to learn more about that as we learn about God we need to also learn our culture and so you are on a mission field your work is a mission field your neighborhood is a mission field our city is a mission field so as we learn about God we need to learn about people and we need to learn how to intersect those two together you are a missionary God doesn't just save you he sends you and so how can you begin to participate in that you need to learn You need to learn about God and you need to learn about your city. Do you know your city? Do you know the people around you? Do you know how they're hurting? Have you asked them? Have you asked them what you can pray for them about? We need to start with learning. We need to pray. God moves in incredible ways through prayer and his mission. And then we need to go public. We need to go public. That's the last thing I'll say is we do this with all of life. We go public. If we're excited about a politician, we go public. If we're excited about a hobby, we go public with it, right? If we're excited about sports, we just did it last night. Some of you did with Golden State Warriors and uh, the Thunder and uh, Stephen Curry. Like, is he even human? I mean, that guy's amazing. And we're like, we're going public with our, our love for Stephen Curry, a guy we don't even know. And a team we have no affiliation with, technically, But we're just amazed and we're going public with that. We have God's eternal, uh, redemptive, multiplying mission working in and through us, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God working through us in this city. We need to go public. And so some of you have talked about like, hey, there's people in here who don't know Jesus and I'm being upfront about that. For some of you, I'm admitting, I'm admitting to our friends, if they listen to this podcast, that we were praying for them and their daughter came, I'm letting the secret out of the bag because we want to go public What are we afraid of? If nobody around you knows that you're a Christian and you think about God's mission and you're terrified because you think nobody even knows this is an aspect of my life, you need to change that. You need to voice what you value. We do that with everything in life. We need to do that with our faith in Jesus. Amen? That God will work his redemptive multiplying mission through us when we do that. And So I'm going to ask you today just to pick one. This could be your spouse. Maybe your spouse doesn't know Jesus. That you would pick them and you would begin to go public with this mission to them. You would start praying for them, learning them, and proclaiming Jesus to them. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe that mission needs to start right with your kids. They don't know Jesus yet. And you would pull them aside later today and explain the gospel to them. Hopefully this has helped do that. That the guy across the hall at work, that the neighbor you see pulling his trash cans in, just pick one. What if we all just picked one to begin to live out God's eternal, redemptive, multiplying mission? What would God do in and through us as a church? No matter what your profession is, this is your purpose. No matter what your career is, this is your calling. It's the mission of God, and we get to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this mission that you started in creation that despite the fact that we distorted it, that you chose to redeem it in and through us and that we get to be a part of that multiplying mission today here in Phoenix, Arizona. And God, there's many people in this room with many different personalities and preferences. God, I pray that they would see their purpose in you and they would begin to step out in it and walk out in it today and that we could do that collectively as a church. Help us. We need your help desperately. It's in your beautiful name we ask that. Amen.